Isaiah 61. We're about to run out of Isaiahs, all right? Uh, there's uh, five more after this one. And uh, I have loved this book and this, uh, this text and this uh, that we're going to talk about today. Jesus actually preached from Isaiah 61. I'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But before I do any of that, would you allow me a personal privilege? We have had baby, grandbaby 17, all right? I think we've got uh, pictures up there. There they are. There's Allie right there. And Gentry. And uh, do you have the one of Donna Joe too? There you go, right there. All right, yeah, yeah. And uh, his name is Walker Lawrence Hill. And you pray for him. And uh, thanks the Lord for a healthy baby and a safe delivery. Uh, Allie has babies and then just walks out of the hospital. I'm just telling you, it's unbelievable. Almost. She had a little time of reprieve, but not much. And she uh, is doing great. So thank you so much. Take your Bibles now. Let's look at Isaiah 61. We're going to discuss today the anointing of God. I've heard about that all my life, the anointing of the Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get saved... The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. You're immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Bible says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. So it's not that if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit that they're not spiritual. It means that they're not saved. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have been saved, you have been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. It's a picture of being drowned in Christ. That's a good way to die to yourself, right? to die to yourself, and when you're plunged beneath Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. He gives you gifts. He starts manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, and He anoints you for certain specific tasks that He has for you. The anointing, the word anoint is the Hebrew word masah. We find it in Psalm 23. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Read the next part with me. You anoint me, my head, with oil. My cup runneth over. You anoint, not me head, but my head, all right? My head with oil. My cup runneth over. In Scripture, when God would anoint somebody, it means they were set apart. We would say consecrated, dedicated, and empowered to do special tasks for the Lord, whatever He called them to do. That's especially true in the Old Testament when prophets would be anointed to prophesy. Kings would be anointed to lead. When someone was anointed, they were empowered by God to accomplish His glory. It refers to the power and the presence and the enablement of God. How many of you know that God will give you a task that's too big for you to pull off? Does anybody know that? You know what you need? The anointing. Just pray, God, God, I know the Spirit of God is in me. Anoint me afresh. Anoint me with a fresh anointing. Anoint me, fill me, use me for your glory. And any Christian 
who already, you already have the Holy Spirit. You can be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to live that way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. You say, well, Brother Steve, I didn't know. Well, now you know. Now you know. You should pray for the Holy Spirit within you to anoint you, to enable you to do all that God wants you to do for His glory. Preachers should pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. A good outline is not enough. A good outline is just some helps or whatever, but you need the anointing if you're going to preach. You need the anointing if you're going to sing for the glory of God. You need the anointing if you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. You need the anointing when you're telling lost people about Jesus. You need the anointing when you're married. I want to tell you, it's kind of like the oil in your car that lubricates your engine. It runs better when it's got a lot of oil in there. And the, it's not low on oil and the oil is clean and the anointing of that engine is making it run perfectly. Let me tell you something. That's a great analogy. You and I can be anointed. God will give us fresh oil, fresh anointing, fresh filling of his spirit, and we all desperately need that. So let's talk about the Lord's anointing. Number one, the Lord's anointing reconciles you. I'm going to read, as we're going to see momentarily, some words that Jesus read in the synagogue where he grew up in Nazareth. I'll read that later on, but let's just look at the first three verses. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's all say that together and make it a good confession. Let's all say that together. If you're a Christian, say this with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now notice, because he has anointed me, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, gospel, to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives to, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is the year of jubilee and the day of vengeance of our God, to complete all, comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness. God wants you to be like a tree planted by the water. He wants you to be an oak. He doesn't want you to be a weeping willow, all right? He wants you to be a, an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Now he was talking here about being reconciled to God. What is reconciliation? Look at me and I'll show you what I think it is. Reconciliation is when you remove a barrier between two people. That's all it is. You and I have a barrier between us and God that only Jesus can remove. It's called sin. And when that sin is removed, we are reconciled to God. Reconciled. Reconciled to God. That burden, that barrier has been removed. Your sin and my sin is an abomination to holy God. It separates us from God. We must be 
reconciled. We must have that sin removed. And his anointing is what removes all of our sin, all of the obstacles, and brings us total reconciliation. There was this beautiful Jewish tradition called the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, the Jews were supposed to take time off and leave the land, and they would not harvest the land, they would not work the soil, they would let the soil replenish. And God says, now listen, just like you have a a Sabbath during your week, one day out of the week, you need to take it for rest. I want you to take a Sabbath and emphasize that you're not working, but worshiping. Let the land alone, don't plant anything, and I will give you enough food in year six to last you for all year six and all of year seven. Now, after that happens seven times, after there are seven sets of seven years, seven times seven, last time I checked is 49, that brings us to the 50th year, that would be the year of Jubilee. Every debt was released on the year of Jubilee. Every Jew was relieved of all debts that he had. Every Jew, if he had become a slave, went back and was immediately set free. All of their past debts were done with. It was the year of jubilee. Don't you think you'd be in a state of jubilation if you had all your sins forgiven, all your debts forgiven, all of that was paid, and you go back to your family. Maybe you've been a slave, and now you get set free. It usually only happened one time in a person's life. But the year of jubilee, and that's what we're talking about here today. Leviticus 25 talks about it, verses 10 through 13. Look on the screen. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year, proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his own property. Each of you shall return to his family. (coughs) Excuse me. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow, you shall not reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field. On this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. So he's talking about the year of jubilee. Let's read the text now one more time in light of knowing what the year of jubilee is and what Isaiah is talking about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verses 1 through 3, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. That's in light of the year of Jubilee. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, that is the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God's people would be anointed afresh with the Spirit of God. Everyone who was brokenhearted would be comforted. They would receive beauty for ashes, anointing, oil instead of mourning, praise instead of fainting. They'd be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So imagine... Don't just imagine, think about what Scripture says. Jesus gets baptized in Luke chapter 4. 
Immediately after he gets baptized, guess where he goes? He goes to his, what we would call his home church. He'd go back and he was going to preach to his home folks. I want to say this to you. It's one thing to preach to people you don't know all that well, but it's another thing to preach to people that you grew up with. All right. I've done that back when I was younger. True story at my 10 year reunion. I went to my 10 year reunion. A lot of them didn't even know I was a preacher. Didn't know that I'd been saved. And they said, the Reverend Steve Gaines will come and pray over our food. And there was an audible gasp. (laughs) My wife got so tickled, I thought she was going to lose it right there. I said, baby, they're just remembering my testimony. That's all they were doing. But the anointing changes all that. So Jesus comes home. To Nazareth, where he grew up, he'd been a carpenter. Nobody knew him as the Messiah. He'd just been baptized. He'd just been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He'd just been tempted for 40 days out in the wilderness, and he was victorious. He comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. He sits down in the Jewish synagogue in Nazareth, a little town, And we read about it in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and following. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread through all the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogues, was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He was, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Tell me that was not God. It was Isaiah 61. That's what he read. Listen to this. He opened the book, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is talking now. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. Now, when I was taught preaching. We were always taught, taught, don't ever close your Bibles because people will know that you're through. Just leave it open and they won't start grabbing their purses getting ready to go. But Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. That's the way they preached in those days. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he was saying? I am the year of jubilee. Hallelujah. Jesus is our year of jubilee. Jesus forgives all of our debts. Jesus lets us have a new beginning. Jesus forgives everything you have owed to God. All your sins are forgiven if you come to Jesus Christ. Let's have a jubilee right now and celebrate the fact that we're forgiven. Amen. Amen. Man, if you don't want to do that, it probably means you don't know the Lord. I'm not saying if you didn't clap, you don't know the Lord. But I'm telling you this, you'd better get to practicing because you're not getting any younger. Amen. And when you get to heaven, I don't want you getting up there and looking around, not knowing how to act. And then you tell them you came from Bellevue and they're going to blame me. Don't do that. All right. 
I've been telling you how to act the whole time I've been here. Heaven is happy. There ought to be joy in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. What was Jesus saying? I'm the Messiah. I've been anointed to preach the gospel. I'm going to set spiritual captives free. How many of you have been set free by Jesus? Amen. Praise God. I'll give spiritual freedom to all who are oppressed. This is the favorable year of the Lord. I am God's year of jubilee. Praise the Lord. He reconciles us. The anointing reconciles you back to God. Paul said in Romans 5, verses 10 through 11, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All the bad stuff about me that separated me from God has been removed, and now, praise His holy name, I've been reconciled to God. Would you be reconciled to God today? Would you repent of your sins, ask God to forgive you? Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead to give you eternal life? And would you receive him as Lord and Savior? Would you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved today? Sinner, let the Lord's anointing reconcile you today. The Lord's anointing reconciles you. Secondly, the Lord's anointing restores you, restores you. Look at verse 4. Once God reconciled them to himself spiritually, he restored everything that they had lost while they were prisoners in exile. Verse 4, then they <clears throat> will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. When the Lord allowed the enemies of the Jews to come in to Jerusalem. The Babylonians destroyed the city. They burned down all the houses, and they tore down the temple and stole all of the holy articles. And the people went into 70 years of exile. But now, after that, he has given them a fresh anointing, and he was ready to restore. He was ready to reestablish them and put them back in their former glory. Everything that had been ruined was about to be rebuilt. Everything that had been devastated was about to be raised back up. Every city that had been torn down was about to be repaired for generations Jerusalem was nothing but a pile of ruin. But now God promised, I'm going to bring it back to its previous grandeur and I'm going to anoint it. God's promise to restore also included their flocks and their fields. Look at verse 5. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. Foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. That is, the Gentiles are going to help you. The Lord would 
also reinstall their spiritual leaders. Look at verse 6. The first part of verse 6 says, but you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. The Lord also promised to restore them financially. Look at the last part of verse 6. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. God also said he would replace their shame and their humiliation and replace it with joy. Take their shame and humiliation away. Look at verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion. In their land, everlasting joy will be theirs. When I go to Dairy Queen, sometimes they'll say, do you want one cup? I said, no, I want a big cup. When I go to an ice cream place, do you want one scoop? No, no, I want three scoops. And I want them all to be different. Anybody, can I get a witness out there? Anybody with me? And if you're going to eat ice cream, go for it, all right? And he's not talking about a single, a single anointing. He said, I'm going to give you a double anointing. God, when God does something, he does it right. And he promised to restore the ancient covenant. Look at verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering. I will fulfill faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. I don't understand people that believe that you can lose your salvation. Even in the Old Testament, it was an everlasting covenant. And when you get saved, it is an everlasting salvation. Verse 9, then their offspring will be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring of whom the Lord has blessed, the Lord's anointing would not only reconcile them back to God, but the Lord's anointing would restore God's people and give them back everything that they lost because of their sin. Sin had stolen every blessing the Lord had given them, but praise God, God said, I will restore everything that the enemy has taken away from you. People ask me if I watch movies. The answer is, I watch some movies. Most of them are old movies. My favorite movie, hands down, It's a Wonderful Life. Main character, George Bailey. Setting, small town USA. I can relate to that. Bedford Falls, New York. And Bailey, from a kid, wanted to travel and go around the world, planned to go to college, be an architect, build large buildings in large cities far away from the little podunky town of Bedford Falls. But his plans didn't turn out as expected. I want to tell you something, <clears throat> and I, I'm not against people that do it, but I think it's pretty worthless. Don't ever make a five-year plan. Oh, but that's good business. Look at me. Any business five-year plan never turns out the way the plan said it would. You don't know five seconds into the future. 
what you need to be. You, you want to make tomorrow special. You want to plan for tomorrow. Do right today. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you want tomorrow to turn, turn out right, do right today. Be all in today. And then when tomorrow shows up, if tomorrow shows up, you don't even know if tomorrow's going to show up. But if it does, be all in today. Because then it won't be tomorrow. It will be today. Today's all you got. It's all you got. Quit worrying about the past. It's gone. Forget what lies behind. Reach forward and live today. That's a word for somebody. Some of y'all are drowning in regrets of the past and fear of the future. No need to do any of that. Just live for the glory of God today. That's free. That's not even in my notes. You can have that. All right, great. And so here Bailey is. His plans didn't work out. His dad dies. He has to take over the building and loan. George Bailey never made much money, but he helped a lot of common people get housing and have money to buy a nicer home. He had an adversary, as we all do, and his adversary was named Mr. Potter. He was a greedy slumlord. He didn't care about people living in shacks. A lot of people like that today. There are slumlords in every city in America. They own property. They barely keep up with it, and they charge enormous rent and make poor people live in their trashy houses. Slumlords need to repent. Mr. Potter was that. He was greedy. He didn't care about if people or not lived in his little broken down shantytown houses. And so one day, Bailey's uncle has $7,000, I think it was. He was going to deposit it in the bank. It was all for the building and loan. And he saw Potter... And George Bailey's brother had been a big hero in World War II as a pilot. And he was coming home, and George Bailey's uncle had this paper that showed that the Baileys were being advertised and lifted up. And he came in to show it to Potter. And while he did, he put that $7,000 accidentally in the paper and handed it to Potter. And he loses the money. And he can't find it. doesn't know where it is. And so the bank examiner has come, and they're thinking that George Bailey has embezzled money. And Potter knew exactly what had happened. He kept the seven or $8,000, whatever it was. And if you know the story, Bailey has sent somebody from heaven named Clarence. If you don't like Clarence, there's no hope for you, all right? I'm just telling you. Clarence is one of the coolest guys. And so he comes, he's an angel, he's trying to get his wings. Now, none of that's biblical, but anyway, um, he comes. And so what he does, he, he says, okay, it's as, it's as though you've never been born. And so George Bailey gets to see what his hometown would be like if he had never lived. And it was not Bedford Falls anymore. It was Pottersville. And it was full of crime, full of wickedness, full of sin. And he said, 
to George Bailey. You've been given a great gift. Don't you see what this town would be like if you had not lived? And so, I don't know how else to say it. George Bailey comes under conviction. And I can't tell you the rest of it. It's too good. Watch this. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu. There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas. Merry! Merry! Yay! <laughs> Amen. I watch that. I, I get teary-eyed every time I see that. He said, Brother Steve, what are you talking about? I believe the old boy had something restored to him, don't you? He had all of his thoughts that were wrong turned into right by the intervention of the Lord. Don't you wish movies were like that nowadays? The trashy stuff that's out there now, don't go look at that mess. Better just to turn it off. We have uh, too much bad stuff being shown. But God wants to restore you. He wants to restore everything that the devil has stolen from you. He wants to pay you interest as well. Job 42.10 says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. You ought to start claiming that verse. If the devil has put you down and you're ready to be restored, just say, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, just like you did with Job, that you'll restore my fortunes. And Lord, as I pray for my friends, I just pray that you'll increase, increase all that I have twofold. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 12 and 13, restore to me. Let's read this together. Read it out loud, good and strong. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. <coughs> Sustain us, me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. The prophet Joel also told that God would restore. Joel 2, 25 and 26 says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wonderfully, wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Lost sinner, you need to be restored Repent of your sins, trust in Christ, and receive Him today. Angry husband, 
Repent, and God will restore your marriage. Defiant wife, rebellious wife, repent, and God will restore your marriage. Overbearing parents, repent, and God will restore your family life. Rebellious children, repent, and God will restore your relationship with your parents. Ungrateful, lazy worker, repent, and God will restore your whole work environment. Overbearing, angry boss, repent, and God will restore you and all the people under you. God still can rebuild ancient ruins. God still can raise up former devastations. God can repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. God can repair Memphis, Tennessee. I don't care if we are one of, if not the most violent city in the, in the nation. We have a God who is big enough to handle everything and restore everything that the locusts have eaten from our life. God can restore your marriage. God can get you back in love with your spouse. God can restore your relationship with your children. God can restore any church that is bought into liberalism or anything else. God is not looking at your past and saying you're sentenced to death. God is looking to your future and saying, there's hope for your future if you will just let me restore you. God is a restoring God. That's the first time I've ever spit and caught it on my hand. Amen. I'm telling you, I did it. The Lord anointing, His anointing is available. It will restore you right now. Well, why do we need the Lord's anointing? First of all, it reconciles us and it restores us. But I got another thing for you. The Lord's anointing robes you. God's going to wrap a robe of salvation and righteousness around you. Look at verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. Let's say that together. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. What do you rejoice in? Hey, whatever you rejoice in is, that's your God. Somebody asked me, you care that Alabama lost last night? I'll tell you what, I didn't miss any sleep over that whatsoever. I used to live in Texas. <laughs> now that part, that's not the reason. The Lord's the reason. I mean, do you honestly think that we need to hitch our emotions to a bunch of teenagers playing football? I mean, I love them all. Praise God for them. But no, that doesn't bother me. Does the economy bother me? No. No, it doesn't. I want the Lord to anoint me. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul exult in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. We read about the story of Jacob and all of his sons, but he had one favorite son. You remember his name? Joseph. What did he do? He made a garment for him. And when he put that garment 
on Joseph, it was a statement, this is my favorite son. Do you know what Jesus did for you, for all of us? When you got saved, he put the garment of righteousness on you and said, you're my favorite son. Look at me. Jesus has a lot of favorites. Amen. You're his favorite child. Not just the preachers, not just the teachers, but the people who know the Lord. He gives us garments of salvation. He gives us robes of righteousness. Like a bridegroom, he decks himself with a garment as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We wear the whole armor of God. And the Bible says we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, verse 14, and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. I love that old hymn, this robe, when I die, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while I'm passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. The moment you get saved, God clothes you. He gives you garments of salvation and wraps you with a robe of righteousness. Now, I, I think about a lot. I think about it a lot. I think about dying a lot. I want to tell you something. If you don't think about dying, you're not ready to live. I think about what it's going to be like when I die. I don't just wake up thinking about death. I'm just saying there are times I just think about what it's going to be like when I die. I'm around dying people a lot. And I think about the time when I will die. I'm going to tell you something. If I didn't believe that when I got saved, if I didn't believe that God put a robe of Jesus' righteousness on me, I would be so afraid to die, it would, I would lose my mind. But the only reason I'm not afraid is because I have been robed in the righteousness of Jesus. And you know what? I can't take it off, and he won't take it off. He put that robe on me. And when you die, guess what else you get with the robe? Then he gives you a crown of righteousness, the Bible says. And then you will go to the feet of Jesus and you'll get down probably on your face. I'll just get down on my knees. And you'll still be robed, but you're going to take that crown off and lay it at his righteous feet and say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are the righteous one. You are the only one who has never sinned. You are my righteousness, God. I don't have any other righteousness except yours. God clothes you. Every morning, I dress my family, not physically, but spiritually. I call all my family by name, and it's getting longer and longer. <laughs> People ask me, do you know their names? I say, I know every one of their names. I don't know any of their birthdays, <laughs> except for one whose birthday is on my birthday. All right. I know his birthday. But every day, I pray for my family, and I say, Lord, gird our loins with truth, shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, put on us the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, 
Oh, Lord, let us take up the shield of faith, quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Let us take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let us pray at all times with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do I believe that makes a difference? I believe it makes all the difference. I believe with all my heart that the Lord, when He anoints us, He robes us with His righteousness. If you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. You need today just to be refreshed in your spirit. If you're a Christian, you need to walk in righteousness. You need to say, Lord, I don't have any righteousness, but I depend totally upon your righteousness. And Lord, I just pray that you'll clothe me today in the whole armor of God. Give me that robe of righteousness, Lord. Let me live in that today. And let me live for your glory. And oh God, anoint me with the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray that together. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit today. Say it again. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit today. God, do it for your glory. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for his anointing. Amen.